0: socially distant listeners, and welcome to another exciting episode of Fire & Water Records, the music anthology show of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and if you're feeling shut in and stir-crazy, I have the remedy for you. It's another installment of Soundtrack Selections. This is the show where my special guest and I share some of our favorite songs that appeared on movie soundtracks and discuss their importance, either in how they inform the film or just how good a song it is on its own. Joining me this time is my semi permanent co host of Fire and Water Records, who has fingers in both the music and movie pies. Please welcome Neil Daly back to the show. What's up, Neil? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, thank you. It's it's great to be back. I wasn't prepared for like a finger in the pie reference to start the show off, but I'm hungry now.
0: <laughs> any any future guests who might be on the show, get ready for finger in the pie references. <laughs> oh, God. Oh,
1: boy. As long as you're six feet away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh this is a podcaster's dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, podcast numbers are going to soar this way actually. We should make a meme about you know that classic famous <laughs> meme about the the three the guy walking with his girlfriend and turning around <laughs> as another girl walks by him. We should that should be a podcaster's meme right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh everybody shut in with no can't go to work they have nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back on the uh, the first episode of Soundtrack Selections when I was talking to Sean Ross, I kind of mentioned that you and I were kind of discussing like, okay, we want to do something about movie soundtracks because movie soundtracks have been so important to us. But how do we break it down? How do you compare one type of movie soundtrack that has, you know, maybe like an all original artist thing, basically like like Prince would do with like Batman or something like that, versus you know a a compilation that is just like you know fourteen different songs by different artists from different times that might be just like really good pop hits or something like that, and and I couldn't really crack that that nut and figure what to do with that. We still. I think we still want to try and approach something with that uh down the road. But for now, this has kind of become the, the new idea of just picking a song from a great soundtrack and talking about what it meant to us, what it meant to the movie. For this episode, um, you came to me with this idea that we'll talk about songs that were from movies about music. Uh, Not musicals necessarily, but movies about bands or performers or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was really important. And first of all, let me let me compliment you and all your previous guests on this because the format for this show, I really love it. I really love it. it although it broke my heart that I wasn't your first guest. You know, <laughs> I got over it pretty quickly because you've, you've done some damn good shows on this. So compliments to you and everybody else that what they brought to the table. And it kind of helped shape my direction of where I wanted to go with this. I like the fact that a lot of people put thought into where the particular song was in the movie and what it meant and how it shaped the narrative and things like that. Whereas originally, you know, I was trying to, you and I were kind of, you know, kind of debating how to go about doing this. Like, do we take a soundtrack that's just great, like a Dazed and Confused, which has just, you know, a 100 great songs on it, but they, you know, it's just indicative of the time frame and the era. And that's what makes it fun. The songs have nothing to do with the movie. Right. You know, it's just that's when they took place. Or do we do like instrumentals that mean a lot and stuff? And so, you know, that was kind of like the great debate where I'm glad I wasn't the first guest because I don't know if I had my uh, my opinion kind of. Formed yet. Mm -hmm. And I think now after hearing a couple of your episodes and everything, then it came to me like, no, I know what I want to do. And that's why music is obviously, I mean, the reason we do Fire and Water Records is because we're both huge fans of music. It's really impacted our lives. But the one thing I wanted to do was kind of take this, our discussion to a new level and do something a little bit different. So like you said, kind of choosing not necessarily just songs from movies or great music from certain films, but I wanted it to be the songs help Tell the story, and in order to do that, they had to come from movies that were kind of singular in the fact that they were about music. You know, you've already touched on, you've already done Purple Rain, for example. But that would have been perfect for this list. You know, that type of this is this is the direction I wanted to take our list in our discussion.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure Purple Rain will come back.
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> it easily could have.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, then, uh, guests' first choice. Uh, what is your first track? for this episode of
1: Soundtrack Selections. All right, from my first song, I'm going way back to the 80s and doing what was actually a Bruce Springsteen-written song but performed by Joan Jett and Michael J. Fox. From the movie Light of Day, this is the title song, Light of Day. this song this song first of all i remember when this movie came out cuz this was one of the follow-ups to i think back to the future this was when michael j fox kind of took off and he was he was still on family ties but he'd kind of launched himself into the stratosphere as a movie star and so i was a big fan of this i knew that I am trying. I remember he played the guitar in Back to the Future. And then I found out through various, probably Dad's Rolling Stone magazine, that Michael J. Fox actually did play the guitar. Not great, but he did play. And so some of that scene was actually him playing. And so that kind of excited me because I was a kid trying to learn the guitar and interested in movies. And then the next movie he comes out with is a movie where he's a guitar player in a bar band. And this was just great. And Joan Jett rocked. So I remember the movie, and I remember the movie left no impression on me whatsoever. I couldn't tell you right now if I liked it or not. I haven't seen it since. But this song kind of recirculated years later as Bruce Springsteen started playing it in his shows. And I think the first time I saw it might have been on like Bruce Springsteen's Unplugged on MTV. And then they scratched out the un and it was plugged because he did one song acoustic and then brought in the band for the rest. And I think that's where I first discovered it. And then I was like, oh, hey, he's doing that song from the movie. And then I think dad was like, that's a Bruce Springsteen song. And I was like, oh, he wrote it. So then all of a sudden it took on this whole new life where I just loved it. So quick backstory. and all the, the, For those of you that haven't seen the movie, um, Joan Jett and Michael J. Fox are brother and sister in, in a band called the Bar Busters. And they're in Cleveland, Ohio, a total blue collar bar band. It sounds very, very similar to anything that Springsteen would have done. Um Interestingly enough, Trent Reznor appears in the band, <laughs> apparently, and I only found this out from Wikipedia. I got to be—I never discovered it on my own, but that was that. And um, Springsteen was—it was given the working title of the movie was supposed to be uh, "Born in the USA," and Bruce Springsteen was supposed to write a song for this, and he wrote the song "Light a Day," gave it to the director. They loved it. They put it in the movie, and. Springsteen then took the title because they didn't use it. They used the title track for the song, the song for the movie. Springsteen then said, hey, I'm going to write a song called Born in the USA. And that became his next album. So that was kind of cool. But basically, this is just a rollicking bar band. It's a three-chord guitar part, and it just kicks blues ass.
0: Okay, so when I saw this on your list, I had to look it up because it seemed vaguely familiar, but I wasn't sure. And as I looked into this, I realized I have never seen this movie before. Really? I have also never heard of this movie before. When I looked up and found out that Michael J. Fox did a movie with Joan Jett when they were rock stars, brother and sister, I was like, how the hell have I never heard of this? I swear, I, I mean, and I kind of blame you, because I feel like you dropped the ball on this. You should have introduced me to this movie. I don't think I've ever seen this well, before.
1: Well, if, if that's the case, I should have. I feel really bad, because I was well familiar with this movie and the song. I just can't believe I didn't tell you.
0: Yeah, and I think I have heard this song before. Like It, it seemed kind of familiar. Not not really familiar, but like I I knew of this, but I also like now I don't even know if if I'm remembering the song correctly because once like the the opening chord started, I was like, "Oh, this is a Springsteen song." This like totally sounds like a Springsteen song, and then once it kicks in, I'm like. No this kind of sounds like a John Cougar Mellencamp song and it reminds it reminds me of ROCk in the USA and part yeah. of it reminds me of Rumble Seat and The Authority song Wow, it's okay. like this total like mix of all of these different like I hear Springsteen and Mellencamp and obviously Joan Jett in this but it's it's a good song I just I, like I wasn't familiar, and it's this is a weird little anomaly because I'm like how have I never heard or seen heard of this movie? Let alone. You know what's funny? I'm I'm
1: I'm surprised. This is really shocking to me that you didn't know this one. I'm glad this is a fun discussion now that you you know. I'm, one thing I'll I'll never forget the visual because I remember not much about the movie except that they were fighting. I remember the brothers and sisters weren't getting along, and it was one of those where I think Joan Jett quit the band and Michael J Fox tried to carry on, and then at the end. Similar to a scene in a song I'm going to pick towards the end of our list, you've got this great onstage live moment where he's starting the song without her and then she comes up and joins, and it's like happily ever after kind of thing. But it's like that that kind of reunion moment that happens live on stage, mm-hmm. which I think is just fantastic. And I'll, As much as I don't remember much else about the movie, I always remember them playing it. And that's why it was so – I never knew. Like I had trouble distancing myself from their version when I heard Springsteen do it. It felt like Springsteen was doing a cover song to me. Hmm. So it's really weird. You probably have the exact opposite feeling about it.
0: This and Highlander apparently are the
1: two movies that I've never seen that everybody wants to talk about on these shows. Oh, geez! If you if you really want to open that door, let me just <laughs> just because I know he's listening. I've never seen a Highlander movie, but, so <laughs> you're not the only one. Yeah. And now I've just lost a fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, listeners. Um, foreshadowing the next episode of soundtrack Selections will also feature a Highlander song because <laughs> I've already recorded the next one too. So. Uh, all right, then we shall move on to a movie that I have seen. Uh, that, I have talked that would make sense. Uh, for the next one, the song is "Everybody Needs Somebody to Love" by the Blues Brothers from the movie The Blues Brothers. Um recently, uh, I, I made a, an appearance on another guy's podcast, a guy named Ashford, who I've recorded with before, uh, who has a Seinfeld podcast, and we just decided to do kind of a one-off episode when we talked about top ten favorite movies, top ten albums, top ten TV shows. Basically, if we were trapped in a deserted island, um, you know what would we want to bring with us?
1: Ah, uh, the old deserted island list. Yeah, And
0: I'm not going <laughs> to spoil everything because I want people to go to that podcast and listen to it, um, but I will say that Blue's Brothers was one of my movies. It was in my top three. Desert Island Movies. Um I I love this one. I've always loved it and it would be a strong contender for one of my favorite soundtracks too. There are so many great songs on this one. You know, you've got an Aretha Franklin number that stands out because of and it's a great song, but also just the performance within the the movie itself is hilarious. Um Ray Charles has a song in there, uh James Brown has a song in there. It's just great great blues music. I chose this song though. Everybody needs somebody to love because it is a highlight. It is the band in their element finally towards the end of the movie uh performing at the big concert that they have been organizing throughout the entire story. Um it's a good feel good song. It's a pick me up whenever I hear it. I want to get up and I want to move. Um and and if for sentimental reasons, you and I actually performed <laughs> performed this song on karaoke on Halloween in 2014. Um, which was probably the last time I ever t- felt truly happy.
1: Now that I think about it. Um,
0: but uh, yeah, I-, I love the movie. I love the soundtrack. And this is, it, even though it's got a gr- great bench of great blue songs, this one is my favorite. This one is my go-to. So what do you think about Everybody Needs Somebody to Love?
1: Oh man, perfect! Well, first of all, I knew that somehow, some way, you'd come up with a Blues Brothers song for this list. That makes perfect sense. It does fit with our theme because that movie is very centrally a music movie. It's about a band. It's about you know these two guys that are in a band. It's all so it's not like a musical in the sense that people just break out in song whenever. There are usually there are staged performances and things like that. But the movie is all about it's it's got a soundtrack by a band. So this is perfect. I think you and I have probably a closer connection to this movie than most. Most because of our connection to Chicago, mm-hmm. and and honestly, I've always kind of I've always kind of felt like I remember. I don't even know if it was before you were born, but my me, my youngest memories of this movie were watching it like with mom and dad, and them pointing out. They knew where every neighborhood was. They knew where oh, every, yeah, yeah. where the mall, but that they drove through was being destroyed, and they knew like all those things. It just so even as a kid, for some reason, I kind of felt like we could claim ownership of this movie more than most because we were like, oh yeah, this is for, like our town
0: sure. yeah i remember like when they would mention things like calumet park or something i was yep. like oh yeah that's where one uncle or one cousin lives or something like that yeah yeah, yeah exactly been there.
1: yeah or, yeah one of my friends got shot outside that building yeah. you know those type of things <laughs> i recognize those illinois nazis yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well, so that's what he's doing now so <laughs> uh, so there was a lot of that but but it's it, it was it also then ties into the heyday of saturday night live mm-hmm. so you've got all these great performances and then yeah I mean so this soundtrack was just great and I'll never forget you know you could have you could have easily picked like the theme from Peter Gunn yeah. which was you know it just I mean there were so many elements of this soundtrack that were fantastic I'll I'll just go off on the fact that I do also remember like the highlight of this for me was you and I doing the song in costume because it was Halloween karaoke. So we showed <laughs> up and we referenced this on the Halloween playlist podcast before. So don't forgive me if I'm going back to it, but it's a story worth recanting. We started getting drinks bought from us from dudes <laughs> at the bar. And then all of a sudden these guys like ask us to join them. And next thing you know, we find out that they're all tram drivers at universal studios and they thought we were the universal studios performers <laughs> that dressed up as the blues brothers and walked around the park and did stuff. So they were buying us drinks thinking that they knew us and you and I were just kind of like, once we picked up and I were like, Hey, free beer, you know, like, <laughs> but it was kind of a weird Testament to us feeling like that's how good we were that night. <laughs> yeah. You know, if that, if that makes any sense. I mean, it was just, you know, we had the, the, the girl running the karaoke booth, whip out her phone. And film us, and Mm -hmm. it was just a highlight. It was that was one of those all time highlights where you know we we should repost that video of us, that click snippet of us of us doing it. But that was just, and again, it's a fun party song. You force people to sing with you. You point out the crowd and all this stuff. Everything, and and you killed it as Belushi. That was just (laughs) perfect. So Uh,
0: it was one of the few songs that I could sing just because I can make I could like morph my voice (laughs) into sounding like his growl.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I got to go into my like deep, deep low register. So it, it just worked out perfect. Did your little rap and then the, the harmonica. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Good song selection.
0: Yeah. I, you know what? I like any Halloween costume where I can wear white socks. So.
1: <laughs> yep. I can't wait to see your next Joker costume. <laughs> what is the next song on your selection? So the next one I'm going way back again same era same early 80s kind of thing but this is uh this is from a movie that is very very underrated and probably not not readily seen by a lot of your listeners and it's not even the highlight song from the movie it's a deeper cut from the movie but I'm going with John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band's Tender Years from the movie Eddie and the Cruisers well,
2: I still, keep to go home.
1: Okay, so let me let me give you some backstory here. Most first of all, most people are going to reference when they think of Eddie and the Cruisers, they think of On the Dark Side, which was a kick ass song, Mm -hmm. just a great lead song to the film. Um, And it was was, I think it was probably the lead single off the movie. But I'll explain why I went with this one as we go on. First, a little backstory. So Eddie and the Cruisers was a movie I saw uh, as a kid. Like, I I think it was on HBO, like when HBO were the movie channel, were the first um, home movie streaming things that people could pay for and watch so I don't think there were many options but I remember this movie got released it didn't do well in theater so I sent it to HBO and it got played on HBO all the time probably because HBO maybe had 10 movies in their catalog at the time (laughs) but I remember being a kid and the music sounded like the music that dad played all the time it sounded like Bruce Springsteen or or Dion and the Belmonts or Jay and the Americans and these are some of the bands that it sounded like but it had a very New Jersey 60s sound and it was stuff that I recognized. And I love the fact that the lead singer dressed like John Travolta in Greece. So I, there was something about it that I just, I connected with. And then of course it was a movie about a band, which is my theme for all this. And And the movie was great. And the big reveal at the end of the movie is that Eddie, I don't want to even spoil it. I'm not going to, I want people to go see the movie, so I'm not going to ruin the plot for you, but Fast forward to the 1990s, when I started playing music and I started writing stuff, and I was fascinated by all these inner turmoil of our favorite bands and how they put on a facade to the world that everything was fine, but they secretly hated each other, like the, the Smashing Pumpkins and and whatnot. And I came up with this idea to write a television series. You probably remember this, mm-hmm. uh, about about a band being caught up in the wake of the grunge movement. And, and the one thing I remembered about Eddie and the Cruisers was how Eddie demanded in the movie, Eddie demanded that they all be great? Or what's the point of playing? And one of the guys in the bands goes, but we're not great. We're just a bunch of guys from Jersey. And that was kind of their attitude. And that stuck with me. And I don't know why, but that stuck with me through all the bands that we liked. There was always like this one dominant alpha male that wanted the band to be great. Or what's the point? And it was kind of what I wanted to write my series about. So I went back and and watched this movie again and took a lot of those elements. So I wrote my story from the vantage point about what if the band really isn't that good? What if they wrote one catchy song and the record labels were so desperate to find the next Nirvana that they threw a ton of money at a bunch of kids who were just small town kids, barely getting along and put them on the road to be the next big thing. So that was kind of what my whole series was about. But it was all based on this idealistic leader kind of thing with Eddie and the Cruisers, which was told through the eyes of the narrator. So all that being said, the soundtrack, again, it takes you on a journey of all these things about the band and the movies told through retrospective stories about people that are reminiscing about the band and they don't want to talk about it. And they're kind of forced into like revisiting memories they didn't necessarily want to do. But you've got all these great movies from New Jersey 60s uh, boardwalk type songs. And although the obvious track choice would have been Dark Side or Down on My Knees, which they play at the college party, uh, for those of you that have seen this, this song, in the spirit of the movie and in the moment in the movie that this takes place, this is kind of like a Purple Rain in the film this is it's the one ballad where everybody's not getting along and they hate the piano player and he but he's the guy that writes all the words and then they're jealous that he's all of a sudden starting to date eddie's girlfriend so all these things are happening at once and they break this song out and they sing it live and it's it's like if you watch the crowd in the movie i felt the same way watching it where it was like everybody stop what you're doing not a sound not a bottle clanking not a pin drop It's just a great, great ballad that kicks ass. And it's, it's the one thing I remember most. More than the big songs that came out as singles. This song, Tender Years, got me. I have
0: never heard of this movie before. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, oh my god. i j I'm, I'm joking. Um, Dude, I, okay. Wow, because I was gonna say I've really I've really not done my job.
0: No, um no, I, I've heard it and I've I've seen this one. Um the thing that always strikes me even more than the music with this movie, my my personal collection is I remember always just like wandering the hills of the video rental stores, whether it was Dollar Video or eventually Blockbuster or whatever it was, and always seeing the box for this tape. Uh, which was just a close-up of the actor's face who plays yep. uh, Eddie and I can't even think of the actor's name. Michael Perret, I think. I always thought it was Matt Dillon. I thought he looked like Matt Dillon.
2: Yeah.
0: I um, so so I, I think I actually write to the movie thinking it was a Matt Dillon movie. <laughs> I was like, like <laughs> then being like really confused. Um yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, for me, I, I do. I think of the song on the dark side first. From this, it was their bigger hit. And actually, I I think I have mentioned this on other episodes of Fire and Records. Um, I used to have a, a track list of songs that sounded like Bruce Springsteen songs that weren't <laughs> actually Bruce Springsteen songs. Um, and this on the dark side was on that playlist. Oh, um, all Along <laughs> with like like a Tom Waits song and a couple of um, uh, songs by the Killers and and some other bands too. Um, but yeah. On the dark side was on that list. Uh, actually, I could put Light of Day on. It. Well, no, he wrote it, so it was technically. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I I really like this song too. I hadn't really heard this one, uh, or I hadn't thought about this one until until you mentioned it, until you put it on your list. And I listened to it for this episode, and I really, really like this. I forgot how good this is.
1: Yeah, if anything, I wanted to bring this to the forefront because for the for the few people that are listening that actually are familiar with the movie, I guarantee you this isn't the song they're thinking of. Right. So right. I, I'm I'm. Happy to kind of reintroduce people to this. Check this song out. This is this is like an undiscovered diamond in the rough.
0: Yeah, it is very very good. All right, moving on to my next selection is "Lose Yourself" by Eminem from the movie Eight Mile. Yo.
2: it's whole back to these ropes, it don't matter, he's dope, he knows that, but he's broke, he's so stacked that he knows when he goes back to this mobile home, that's when it's back to the lab again, yo, this old rap better go capture this moment,
0: right um i did not like eminem when i first heard him (laughs) i I will say that i had some bias because from my personal experience white people in hip-hop and like mainstream rap was pretty much vanilla ice and it's not the best not the best precedent um so when eminem was kind of making the scene i was like "Eh, all right whatever this flash in the pan how how long is this going to last um, and then I think just because of that I kind of had just like this bias against him I was looking for kind of nitpicky reasons not to like him so like his first song is My Name is Slim Shady but he goes by Eminem but his real name is Marshall Mathers and then his second song is The Real Slim Shady. And I was like, dude, what the hell? You're pissing me off. Who are you? What is your goddamn name? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, okay, now just kind of nitpicking. But then uh, he makes some homophobic remarks. I was like, okay, now I have a legitimate reason not to like you. True. But with all of that, I... I did respect his talent, and I knew that he was a wordsmith unlike any other, like a once-in-a-generation talent yeah. for oh, crafting yeah. these lyrics. And when I would actually hear them and kind of step aside, I was like, that was a really good line, or that was a good beat, or something like that. I knew he was a good songwriter. Yeah. Lose Yourself was the first one of his songs that I really, really, really liked. And at first I was reluctant to admit that, but I, I mean, I just had to say, I was like, this is a good fucking song, man. It's Anthemic. It's this slow-building song, but it has this intensity. You listen to it; it has this sort of feel like a call to arms. You've got to yep. shoot your shot. I mean, this feels like. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if Lin Manuel Miranda had <laughs> drew some inspiration uh, from this song when he was doing Hamilton. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's very dramatic.
0: Yeah, yeah, and just like the, the way he builds up to it, it did actually. It won the the best original song for the uh, for a motion picture that year at the Oscars. I think it was the first rap song to do that. Um, and I just Just the lyrics for the last verse that I had to come back to because I love this so much as the way he brings it all back. And these times are so hard and it's getting even harder trying to feed and water my seed plus... Peter totter caught up being between a father and a prima donna, baby mama drama screaming on it too much for me to want to stay in one spot. Another day of monotony has gotten me to the point I'm like a snail. I've got to formulate a plot or I end up in jail or shot. Success is my only motherfucking option. Failure's not. Mom, I love you, but this trailer's got to go. I cannot grow old in Salem's lot. So here I go. It's my shot. Feet fail me not. This may be the only opportunity that I got. And I mean, first of all, if you can quote, if you can name drop Salem's Lot in a rap, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, oh, it's incredible, and it's just like I just listen to it. it gets me pumped up. It just, it's, it's an infusion. This makes you want to, this makes you want to fight. This makes you want to, yep. you know, do something. Just get up and do whatever, whatever is challenging you. This makes you just want to run into that wall full steam and and conquer whatever problems you got. It's, uh, yeah, it's. It's a really good damn song.
1: Yeah, I'm very happy you picked this one because I probably would have had to bounce something else off my list if you didn't. <laughs> and I'm kind of surprised that so far, with the number of shows you've done, I'm surprised this hasn't come up yet. I, I'm kind of surprised nobody else picked this one. My feelings on this, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go too deep into it. You know, you've kind of said it all. It's a super dramatic song, a s- extremely well crafted, well written song. The verses actually tell acts of a play kind of thing. It's it's really well done, and it's got this building building drama where even his voice changes in intensity as he goes to the time you get to that third verse where it's like you're almost screaming. Yeah. It's like balls to the wall. Here we go. I mean, like you said, it makes you want to do anything like this would be a great song if, if you were a boxer ready to fight or if you were a football player ready to take the field. I mean, it's just about anything. It's it's fantastic. I will say it's kind of funny. I think, like you, I didn't like him at the very beginning either because he came out. He he, his initial presence on MTV was comical, and I I knew that he appealed to a lot of people. He appealed to like the teenage white suburban kids and stuff that loved. All of a sudden, hey, we got a hero. We can listen to rap now, and it doesn't have to, you know, have gangster rap references and stuff. But I remember just thinking, like, he's he's taken he's taking his craft. He's obviously good and good enough for Dre to discover him and put him in. But I was like he's making a mockery of it so I didn't like the fact that all of his early songs were kind of comical they were jokes and on top of that I was like now suddenly there's a threat to my white rap presence (laughs) and I was like I didn't know if I was ready to relinquish the crown at the time I didn't want to give that up and so he was a threat to me and (laughs) and then you know like it or not all of a sudden once he did kind of turn to the dramatic side and and stop trying to be a joke Mm -hmm. and think do things like love the way you lie about wife beating yeah, or, yeah. you know, all the in, in this movie, you know, this, because this movie was purple rain for the hip hop community. That's exactly what it was. But once, once you saw him in his element, just being real, I was like, there is no denying this guy's talent. I don't care. And I'll, I'll make this appeal to everybody out there. I don't care if you like him, if you hate him, if you think he's a misogynist, if you think he's, you know, all these other things, no matter what, a homophobe, whatever you think about him is fine. You cannot deny this guy is the most talented guy in the game. He is absolutely. And case in point, his latest offering right now, if you look, Godzilla, which is the last song he just released and had challenged people on YouTube to rap with him. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, I'm going to this was a fantastic song choice. And I hate to say it. He might be better than me.
0: (laughs) well i'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there,
1: <laughs> but yeah, you know and it's
0: it, and it's after that, and I think you're right, like at first he had that kind of joke almost trolling nature about him,, yeah. and I think maybe he kind of grew out of that and, and evolved a little bit in some of like the themes that he was approaching and it kind of took more adult more mature uh issues that he was rapping about and i do i mean he he's got a number of songs that I really really like, and i'll I'll listen to um yeah, me so too. yeah this this wasn't the only one but Alright, moving on. What is the next song you got?
1: Okay, well, in seemingly accidental fashion, sticking to my first three songs being Springsteen Offerings, or or relevant-sounding Springsteen Offerings, I'm going to go with uh, Secret Garden from Bruce Springsteen off the Jerry Maguire soundtrack.
2: She'll let you in her house If you come knocking She'll let you in her mouth If the words you say are right If you pay the price She'll let you deep inside but There's a secret God She-Has
1: So there's not a whole lot I actually have to say about the song. This is probably, this is this is certainly one of the most memorable parts of the movie, Jerry Maguire. And, and if not, I mean, Cameron Crowe, it was a Cameron Crowe film. For those of us who have listened to our shows before, everybody knows how much we revere this guy who directed movies like Almost Famous and Singles, obviously, which we've talked about. But Jerry Maguire was a song. So Cameron Crowe, being a former writer for Rolling Stone magazine, a child writer, and kind of going off into being a screenwriter and then a director. He always had music be the forefront of everything he did. So even though this movie was about a sports agent, the soundtrack was going to be featured heavily. It was going to it was it was going to have a prominent role in it. And the one thing I like about this was the placement of this particular song. It's a very simple ballad. It's super simple. It's this rolling kind of keyboard organ theme that plays throughout and it doesn't really change. There's no bridge there's not really a chorus just the the line secret garden and it's very simple but lyrics are out in front it's springsteen great with his wordplay i don't know it's just there's a moment where it's, it's 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 the love theme from the movie and it's just perfect so the last thing i'm gonna, the, the i did do a little bit of research on it and i discovered that bruce had already written and recorded the song And Cameron Crowe asked if he could use it for the movie. So Springsteen was already written it. And I think that was, I I think Springsteen had just done the soundtrack to Philadelphia. I want to say right before that. So um, uh, The Streets of Philadelphia was the song before that. So I think at this point, Springsteen was just on a roll and he had kind of separated himself from the E Street Band for a little bit, for a little bit of time. He was just kind of doing solo stuff. But if you do Streets of Philadelphia and then Secret Garden back to back, you're, (laughs) you're on a roll, man. But again, you know, keeping with the theme, I have this, not just the... The song being a great song, which I love, but the placement of the movie and the use of it in the movie to tell that moment where these two walls break down and the two kind of have their, their love theme kind of thing, thats it just, it's haunting in the way that it got me. So how do you feel about it?
0: I love the song. Um, for a while, this was in my top five favorite Springsteen songs list, mm. um, and I think it probably only got knocked out because of a, a personal connection with a girl uh, and the song I'm on Fire. Mm, yeah, okay. Which actually is similar in terms of similar, like. They're, they're, very similar. Yeah. Uh, so this one, I mean, it's in my top 10 still. It might be like number six, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I've always liked this song. I like the way. And actually, for as much as I like a great Springsteen rock song, I, I am also very partial to some of his quieter ballads and, like, kind of mm-hmm. slow either keyboard or acoustic songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I kind of prefer those a little bit more. So when it comes to, like, my top five, I think three of them are on the slower, quieter side, and two of them are rockers. Um, or Jungle Land kind of straddles the line. <laughs> but... Um, yeah it's uh yeah I don't really have much more else to say other than yeah i I'd love this song too i I really like the way it was used I remember when this when this came out uh, and I remember it for the movie um, yeah
1: strangely enough the last thing I just want to add to one of the things that I hated about this song was the single they released i I believe when this movie came out kept having movie dialogue yeah, yes yeah and I remember how much that drove me crazy because I just wanted the song. I was like, why do they keep why do they keep having audio dialogue play over it?
0: Yeah, I don't think a re- a clean version of it was available maybe until his greatest hits collection that came I out like so a few too. years
1: later. Yeah, I think so too. That really bothered me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that was the first place you could get a version of the song without that dialogue.
1: Yeah, stupid Cameron Crow. I take back everything I said about him.
0: Really? Yeah. Alright. Um, Moving into my next selection, and I kid you not, this has been one that I have bumped off of the last couple of episodes of this list. Like, I kept wanting to put this song uh, on on my episodes, uh, and I kept finding excuses not to feature it. But I knew, once you brought up this topic, that it had to be in there. Well, actually, I will say, it is from the movie Pump Up the Volume. And then the question was, what song of the many songs that that I love? Uh, And the one that I've got for this episode is... Why Can't I Fall in Love? by Ivan Neville.
2: So many people come walking by looking so happy while well, all I do is cry.
0: As just said, I love this movie soundtrack. Um, there are more songs in the movie than on the actual album. Yeah. And, I mean, I could have picked any number of songs from this soundtrack, from the theme Everybody Knows, either by Leonard Cohen or the cover version that's on the album by Concrete Blonde. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another Leonard Cohen song called If It Be Your Will that I absolutely love. It might be my favorite Leonard Cohen song. Um, I played it a lot, like on repeat, when he died back in 2016. Um, and that's in the movie after... Christian Slater's character is dealing with a a kid who killed himself, and he's feeling the guilt, like maybe if he had said something, he could have stopped it. There's also a great Pixies song on there, there's a great Henry Rollins song on there, but this one is the song by Ivan Neville, who's the son of Aaron Neville, and... Uh, I mean, just kind of going through this movie. I mean, I, we, we went through that phase. Well, maybe yep. everybody did at the time, but we loved Christian Slater when we were young, when we were at this time. Um, and we watched all of his movies, and I definitely think we, we rewatched the most Pump Up the Volume and Heathers. Yep. Uh, and when I was younger, I liked Heathers a lot more. Just because, I mean, it had violence, it had suicide and murder, and it, the dark sense of humor. I think it just, it spoke to me when I was younger. As I grew up, I, I started to, like, pump up the volume a lot more. And, and just, I, I mean, just I, maybe it was just a sense of maturity and kind of f- hooking into the themes of the movie. I also really liked Samantha Mathis in Pump mm. Up the Volume more than Winona Ryder. Um, I, I don't know if it was just something about me, but everybody I know who grew up loved Winona Ryder. I never really had a thing for her. And it also, I mean, maybe it helped that Samantha Mathis takes her top off in this scene in the movie. Certainly helped. Yeah, so, and... And in the scene, when it takes place, I mean, I I like the song and I like the scene because of the titillation. There's a naked girl. (laughs) But it's, it's more than that. There's this kind of poetic beauty of this particular scene because both of the characters, Christian Slater and uh, Samantha Mathis's character Nora, they wear disguises throughout the film. They hide their identities. They have these yep. fake personas. Christian Slater's character Mark has this fake radio personality, Happy Harry Hardon, um, that you know indulges in all these like crude jokes and plays music and pretends to masturbate over this pirate radio station that he has. And her character Nora writes letters to him with this pseudonym that has this very sort of S and M feel and. It's very sexually Mm -hmm. charged, and neither of them are really like that in real life. And in this scene of the movie, they actually – they confronted each other. They know who each other are, and I think the fact that they're both topless, they're both naked, Mm -hmm. they're revealing who they really are in the moment. They are naked. They are without their disguises, and they're being really honest with each other. And it starts with the music just playing, and they're just kind of circling each other, looking at each other, seeing for who they really are. And it becomes this very tender dance, Yes. And it's this beautiful kind of love scene that at first, you know, when I was a kid and I didn't understand, I was like, yeah, I see boobs. But now it's like, I love this scene. I would love for like more kind of scenes. (laughs) You
1: still do that, by the way. (laughs) Well, I mean,
0: (laughs) I I haven't grown up that much. But (laughs) it's like, I I mean, I just, I love the, the, I, I see more in this scene now. I would say, like, and I, oh, yeah, I see yeah. how really kind of important and and what a beautiful and tender moment it is, and and how revealing it is, and as a, I mean, thematically and narratively, not just for the titillation factor. Yeah. So, and and beyond that. I love the song. I mean, I, I love Aaron Neville. He's got going to one of our other podcasts when we get to our Christmas uh, songs. Aaron Neville's, (laughs) Aaron Neville's version of Oh Holy Night is one of my favorites. And if I haven't played it yet, it will show up someday. Remember, Uh, there
1: will be an Oh Holy Night on every Christmas podcast.
0: Absolutely. That's my promise or my curse, whatever. Um, but, but, um, yeah, I I love I love that R and B that Motown sound that like R and B soul sound, and yeah. for this type of song to be in there, I yeah this ah, I just I love this song and I love the moment in the movie.
1: Well, cool. I I actually don't have much to say about it because my notes for this song would have been just about everything you said. I'm kind of glad you picked up on the metaphors for them having their shirts off as they kind of, you know, there was a lot to that too. And I think I kind of probably only discovered that more once I got older and started writing things. Like if you're writing a scene, you know, all of a sudden you take into, you you put more into the setting and uh, the choreography of this, that, like you said, it's kind of a subtle dance around with no words spoken and everything but you reveal a whole lot so the sh- the way it's shot to the music and the fact that they're vulnerable all that stuff makes this scene really really powerful and i think you kind of have to be you have to be a little bit older to kind of get that and mm-hmm. here's here's what i think is really interesting, and I don't think we've ever really talked about this, but yeah, you and I have probably seen this movie more than just about any other movie in, in, in the world. I can't remember how many times we saw this when it came out, but despite the fact that like the grunge movement and alternative rock kind of took off in the 90s, what year did this movie come out? 80, eighty, it was either eighty nine or ninety, wasn't it? Okay, I, I don't remember, but it's got to be. It's got to be that. I know for a fact. I saw this movie before um, I heard Pearl Jam and Nirvana and whatnot and all this stuff. Because I think, I, I, yeah, I know, I know, I did. So this actually would have probably been. Although there's no grunge rock on it, this would have been probably my introduction to alternative music, alternative yeah. rock. I think this soundtrack came before the rest of the, those Seattle bands took off and whatnot, although Soundgarden was probably out already. But, but that's Soundgarden, the point.
0: Was, Soundgarden was a precursor. They were probably the first of those bands to make it big. Yeah, true, Because I think, weren't they in the first Lollapalooza? E... No, they weren't.
1: I don't think so. God,
0: but like some of the like some of the other bands were opening for Soundgarden because they were, oh, yeah,
1: they sure, were definitely sure. bigger. yeah well Soundgarden I know Soundgarden was discovered because in in nineteen ninety they actually opened for Guns N' Roses on the Use yeah. Illusion tour when Guns N' Roses started the tour before they had the album released um, anyway but we're getting off track but in addition to the fact that this being an alternative rock soundtrack and everything which was all kinds of new music I hadn't been exposed to at the time I think both of us can kind of agree Christian Slater was our introduction to the alternative actor, the mm-hmm. kind of, the the grungy actor kind of thing. You know, the kid that had longer hair and smoked and had earrings and stuff. He wasn't a preppy kid from the 80s. You know, right. this was like, Kristen Slater then kind of became like what we then later saw with like River Phoenix and Brad Pitt and some of these, like in the early 90s, when, when the grungy actors, kind of Keanu Reeves, when yeah. these guys all came out and all of a sudden everybody had long hair and smoked cigarettes and dressed like a burnout and that was like cool. Mm-hmm. Kristen Slater was kind of doing it ahead of them. So, he was probably the actor that I most I was most attracted to his career arc at that particular point, right. from like say 90 to 94 or whatever. I think that that kind of led me into the career that I chose too at the same time. So, this movie was really really powerful and moving and impactful on me, and this song was such a dirty blues kind of feel that makes you like this could come on in a bar on the jukebox and I would grab somebody's hand to go dance right. like and, in a slow, sexy way, you know?
0: Yeah. And I love Christian Slater because of the, the, uh- pop culture like parallels between him and jack nicholson i mean they did a whole yeah, saturday sure. they did a based like not just a skit like an entire episode <laughs> of saturday night Live around him being the next jack nicholson uh oh, and i God. love jack nicholson because of the batman movie the joker that came out before this so
1: yeah yeah well you know there's a lot of people that say that his role in heathers was absolutely a total note for note riff of jack nicholson which is which i have no problem with and then i think his kristen slater's saturday night live performance that year was one of the greatest ever.
0: Oh, Oh, I, I still the when the chicken wings episode with the super fire hot sauce, I could I can quote that I, I, like the oh monologue that goes on at the end of that. I'll, I won't do it right now, but yeah. Oh man, I love that so much. Anyway, okay, <laughs> got to move on to the next song. What do you got?
1: Um, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna branch out a little bit and go off the Springsteen train <laughs> for a little while. However, I'm gonna take another song from a movie about a band are about musicians writing songs, and I'm going to choose Falling Slowly from the indie Irish film Once by Glenn Hansard and Marquetta Erglova.
3: Games that never to more than meant will
1: Seen this movie? It was. I think it won a few awards when it came out, but it was definitely on the indie circuit. It looks like a Sundance movie, um, something like that. This reminds me. The song itself reminds me of some Irish folk singer songwriters, like Damien Rice, if people are familiar with him. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's from the movie Once. The song won. It did win an Oscar for like best original song, I believe. I don't remember what year it came out, but. They wrote the song while they were shooting the movie. So they were already making this movie and they were trying to come up with a good song to make it be the theme. And so they wrote it. This this couple wrote it. It's lyrically as heartbreaking as the movie. Um, I've heard people say it's a movie about hope, um, I you know, but it's more about like two star crossed lovers that kind of meet each other at the wrong time in their lives. Um, I, I, I think even. I, I didn't get the sense of hope. I found I found kind of like this, like tragic kind of Shakespearean kind of thing, as I saw it, and it's about two people that come into their lives, change each other, but they aren't meant to be together and they aren't meant to stay. But the, the lasting moments, memories, and the music they create in this short period of time is what you take from it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of heartbreaking. It's very, it's very Shakespearean. That's, that's the way I really took it. And I really loved it, but it's also a catchy as hell song. Yes, The harmonies, the harmonies really, really stick with you. And it's a simple song. It's an acoustic song. I was just kind of discovering a lot of what, what I think they call it heritage rock or Irish heritage rock or something. I was listening to a lot of this stuff with bands like the cores and, and some of these things, you know, Ed Sheeran sounds a lot like this stuff now, you know, but this was before his time, but I really, really fell in love with the song and it made my heart break for the people that don't end up together at the end of the movie.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I love the song too. Um, and I I get the sense of like the, the people that you meet and have this really profound or prolific encounter, but that just isn't meant to be. <laughs> and it's, you know, like I, I mean, and maybe this is just because it's been on my brain so much lately, but it's it's sort of the, the Sam and Diane relationship from Cheers, ah. where they have such this, this powerful connection and attraction to each other, but it's like it, – Realistically, this is doomed to failure. Like, you, you can't expect the, the, them to go all the way. But with this, it's it's much more of a compressed moment, that that's sort of, like, one-night stand that isn't just based on, on like, a, like a, a, you know, a sultry, you know, sexual encounter. It's based on a real kind of meaningful connection that does change your life. Um, it almost kind of reminds me of the movie Lost in Translation, and mm. the way Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson, their relationship in it, which is not necessarily a, a lover's relationship. Right. Or, or right. you could say they are kind of intimate lovers without ever, I, they, technically sleep in the same bed but it's not that type of relationship but by the end of the movie they leave to go have their own separate lives but they are changed for having been in their lives at that moment uh and you definitely get that from this but just on a a musical level yeah this is this is such a great song totally deserving of of an oscar for um yeah everything you said about it like the harmonies the melody that that chorus that it's so quiet during those verses and then uh, his like where Glen Hansard takes his voice during those um during the choruses oh, it's just man. it's it's it it hits you in your guts and it's really heartbreaking yeah
1: yeah it's really clever too because he actually goes up higher on the harmony parts mm-hmm. so it's 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 very it's 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 kind of like it kind of catches you off guard it's 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 unassuming and then all of a sudden it like gets under you and gets under your skin and kind of lifts you up in a way it's yeah everything yeah this is just it's just a great song from uh, a great movie about music so it's perfect for this type of show.
0: Uh, well, sticking with the Irish theme, sort of, <laughs> uh, um, the next song uh, on my list <laughs> is the song In the Midnight Hour by the band, by the fake band, The Commitments from the movie, The Commitments. I'm
2: gonna wait till the midnight hour That's where my
0: This is another soul song, and I've kind of I, I've made this point a few times recently. It really hasn't come up in a lot of my podcasts because I tend to have a popular song or something in every one of my episodes if I can. And I it, this might not be reflective of, of the songs that I've used, but I absolutely love the soul, the R and B, the Motown sound from the '60s and '70s. It is possibly my favorite like genre or subgenre of music in terms of like the quantity of how much I love versus what I don't listen to or something like that like it, like just in terms of numbers that way. so okay. I love this type of music I love this soul music and f- uh, I mean these are these are the songs that make me feel good it makes me or it makes me feel blue or it makes me want to dance. something about soul music has more of an emotional resonance for me than even some of my favorite rock songs, not all of them sure. but as a genre. I tend to connect emotionally and on a physical level more with Motown and Soul than I do with Rock. A lot of times. Not always, but a lot of times. For this one in particular, I only vaguely kind of remember seeing this movie. Um, I know I saw it once, but for some reason, I got this soundtrack for Mom. <laughs> now, now we've, we've talked about that type of situation before. Hang on, hang on, yeah. hang on.
1: Okay, explain it.
0: I believe I was told to get this soundtrack for Mom, that, this, that it was a recommendation that this would be a good birthday present or a good Christmas present for her, that she would like this album or something like that because of the movie. I don't know if you told me or if Dad told me. Um, or some higher power. <laughs> I, was, I was compelled. Somebody told me, get this album for Mom, and she was like, oh, thank you. And then I listened to it, because uh, as, as with most of the things that I got from mom, it ended up becoming mine.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, and this was just it was a it was a collection of these great songs, slightly whitewashed though, because it was all by uh, this sure, made up yeah. white band from from Ireland. Um, but they were good; they sounded really good. But of all of them, like by a wide margin, my favorite song on the album, on the soundtrack, the whole thing was always this particular song in the midnight hour. Um, I thought this was great. I would put this on mixtapes or mix CDs that I made for mm-hmm. other people, like just kind of like randomly as just like another song that I like. Um, so yeah, this has always been just a, a song that I dig. It's my jam.
1: Yeah, I, I I like it. I like it too. Probably not as much as you. Like this one would have been – Boy, if I was going to take something from like this type of air, like I might have done a toss up between this and maybe something from the backbeat soundtrack, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, because they both kind of had that like. So that's 60s, you know, playing in bars and then, you know, kind of thing. They had the same type of thing. Backbeat obviously is about the Beatles and stuff. This one I loved. Um, It was catchy as hell. I liked, uh, like you, I have a really strong connection to Motown. It's got to come from dad and mom. Because I remember dad had just cassette tape after cassette tape after cassette tape of soul in oldies and, and volume one, two, three, four, up to 20. And I remember going through a period where... God, hey, going through a period in high school where there was a radio station that we picked up out of Chicago. And it, we got it in Decal, but it was out of Chicago. I think it was Magic 104, and it was Dick Beyond these oldies. And it was like me and Corey and Jones were like the only people in the world listening to oldies in high school. <laughs> like, God knows why we were listening to it. But that's where, you know, we discovered all the Sam Cooks and, the, mm-hmm. you know, all these, these great Motown songs. And that's when I kind of hatched my theme where the perfect playlist for a wedding was always going to be like old Motown songs, yeah. and old like oldies through the Marvin Gays And, the, you know, that was just going to be what I that's the way I envisioned the perfect wedding kind of thing. So this song, I, I totally I'm not surprised that you picked it. I think it's a great choice. And one thing that I always thought about it when I heard it was I was like, these guys are playing a lot of the same type of songs the Blues Brothers play. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was interesting. And then right before this show, right? But when I when you gave me your list and told me you were going to do this, I just had to check it out again. More time, and I glanced at it. And there's a version of this song done by the Blues Brothers band after John Belushi died, and they still went on tour. And I'd never heard it before, but I'm like, this is perfect for a Blues Brothers band, Wilson Pickett. You know, just like like that whole that's exactly what they played. So this is this makes total sense for this for this list. (laughs) Nice. All right, what do you got? Okay, so next, um, Let's go back to Cameron Crowe, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Let's take, now this one, this one is fun. This one, I, this is, I've tried, I think a couple of the ones i picked so far were a little obscure references that people might have to dig or kind of retread some old memories and see if they have, what their connection is. This one is a no brainer. When I say the name of the song, you're all going to remember it from the movie. I'm choosing Tiny Dancer by Elton John from the movie Almost Famous. This one I like for a lot of reasons. Now, this is one of those, it's it's a rarity for my list in the sense that it's a song that pre-existed in the world beforehand. Um, so it wasn't written for the movie. It didn't have a specific lyric that suited the movie. But... I'll explain why I like this and why this has to make my list. So, first of all, it's for it's for another audition. It's for another movie I auditioned for. Yeah, you <laughs> know that I was competing with Billy Crudup for a couple of movies back then. I, th- I think you know I was up for his role in Prefontaine or whatever that racing movie was, and I was also up for his role in Russell. I only had one quick audition for it didn't go any farther than that. But the fun thing about this was my audition scene was the for those of you that remember the movie it was the party sequence where he tells everybody he he's he's doing acid at the party and he's like this is real and he's only interested in what's real and he tells a kid that in 11 years it'll be 1984 think about that. And the kid goes do you want to see me feed a mouse to my snake? And he goes,
2: yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, was my, that was my audition scene. So I, I can't imagine. I don't know how I didn't get that. Anyway, so the song is one of those rare moments. This was, and you've talked about this with other guests in your show. I think even in the first episode of Soundtrack Selections, you guys talked about this. The song goes from a rare moment where it begins as merely a soundtrack to the action on screen. And like, you don't know, like it just could be playing underneath the action that you see. And then it shifts into, no, it's a song on the radio that they're listening to. And then it, so it goes from like like a fourth wall kind of thing, and then it takes off, and then all of a sudden yeah, the, the action the is term them. is
0: uh, diegetic when it becomes when it becomes music within the world of the yeah Cisco and I talked yes. about that
1: yeah you talked about like in Magnolia and stuff like that this is very diegetic where then all of a sudden the music becomes the action in the scene which I think was just fascinating to do so it's just from being soundtrack to them going through what they did the night after the party where everything had kind of gone wrong and the band all hates each other and you know that they're all going to split and go their other way separate ways and everything it's it's like that catharsis moment then it shifts to the song playing on the bus and the band joins in singing and it's kind of like this weird moment of redemption Mm -hmm. (laughs) as as all the horrible terrifying acts from the night before that separated everybody have kind of brought them together again and it's it's because it's got a great chorus that brings everybody in and i don't know i don't know if you ever felt the same way but when I saw this, it kind of had the same impact of me as like Bohemian Rhapsody in Wayne's World. Yeah. Like it had, it kind of had that moment where everybody in the crowd watching it wants to sing it then. Mm-hmm. Suddenly it's like, oh, we all know this. Hey, they're singing it live to, you know, in the action in the scene, so we can sing it too. And it's kind of, that's the way, like, Tiny Dancer kind of took off and had this reinvigoration in pop culture after this movie. Well, and now, I think it,
0: it gave Elton John a second or third life in, oh, it sure in pop did. culture. Oh, yeah. sure
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Good call. But it definitely, the, the point is now, like, I can't separate now, I can no longer separate hearing this song from the movie. Mm-hmm. From the action in the movie, I picture them on the bus. And I picture Billy Crudup, who's you know, my competition at the time, like singing the song and being fantastic, you know, just being, just being awesome. But that, that kind of like, like I said, like a Bohemian Rhapsody in Wayne's world where you want to bang your head and do the thing in the car. That's how I feel about this particular song.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think the, what you were getting to is, I mean, there's a line, it's either earlier or later in the movie, where the lead singer says something like, rock and roll can save the world, or rock and roll can heal the world. And it's kind of blown off as like, what a pretentious kind of stupid statement. And, and like, how, like, how up your own ass do you have to be to say something like that? But this is an example where, that's kind of true because you're right. This is the fallout of that party where they do all hate each other. They're all pissed off at each other but they come together to sing a song together and you have all of these people in different parts of their life. It is this communal bonding experience and that's where the audience does want to join in and that is the spirit of what that line as pretentious as it sounded rock and roll can save the world. That's this. This is the moment where that actually happens for their lives. It brings them together. To do
1: that, yeah, the music was the common unifying force. Yeah, that yeah. Was, and that it's, was. it's just that—that's what
0: really special, really great music can do. It can bring people together, and I do think you're right. Like, it, it, there's something about like because you see the people involved getting into it in this really organic moment, that invites the audience to want to share in that emotional connection, that moment. So, yeah, you do. You watch the scene, you want to sing along, too. Uh, yeah, you yeah. want to start pounding your pencils on, on like the desk or something, or banging <laughs> when the drums kick up or something. And, and yeah, I mean, I totally, because I mean, when I was growing up, Elton John was kind of a joke. Like, I knew of him as the candle in the wind guy, um, yeah. both, both um, Marilyn Monroe and then Princess Di, and the soundtrack to The Lion King. <laughs> and then, and then, like I'd, I'd seen pictures of him in like the '70s with his big glasses, and he looked weird. Um, or dumb, and, or like, seeing it with RuPaul or something like that, and I was like, "Is this for real? Is this just a cartoon?" So I didn't really take him seriously. And once I heard this song, I was like, "This is maybe I need to give this guy another shot." And then I did. And then I found like there's this whole catalog of Elton John songs that I love. So yeah, it definitely, yeah. it gave him a new play. And I, I built an Elton John playlist, and he's got some of my favorite songs, and Angie yeah, loves I, him. And,
1: yeah, yeah I, did the, I did the same thing, like you, after this. I kind of, I, I went back and checked out all kinds of new Elton John songs, like non-releases, non-singles and stuff, and found a lot of of discoveries in this. But yeah, I I I you've you've explained it perfectly. There was something, I mean, and shout out to shout out to Cameron Crowe for the way he crafted this particular scene.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it was like having one person sing first and then everybody kind of look and see like and then and then there's this moment where like are they going to shoot the guy down for starting to sing? And then it's like, no, and then one of the girls starts singing. And then they kind of look and then it's almost like are we okay? Like is everything okay? And yeah. they all kind of have this moment and then they smile. And it's just, it's really well shot. It's such a well done, good you know, kudos to Cameron Crowe for the way he did that. That was such a great ice breaking kind of moment.
0: Right, right. Alrighty, then my final song for the selection. Uh, this is another one. I can't believe it took me this long to get to the soundtrack from Empire Records. <laughs> this is the song Sugar High by Coyote Shivers. They
3: all said she's just another groupie slut. But I
0: I don't actually have a lot to say about this one. Um, this was another one where I looked at the I looked at the soundtrack and I was like, boy, there are so many songs on here. But mm. this one was always just my favorite, and I don't really know why, other than it's just it's a good, fun punk rock song. Um, I I think I I kind of have to outweigh because the the album version, the soundtrack version has the band singing, and then when it's performed live in the movie, you get. Um, Renée Zellweger singing like the, the last verse, um, and, and the movie itself it has the musical connection because it's people who work in this record store as they're having this you know this big artist come in that they're going to try and promote and he turns out to be a scumbag so they kick him out and it, all these different little things it was sort of I'm trying to think of what it like what you would compare it to at the time that it came out it was it was around the time of Clerks and Dazed and Confused but it was just kind of had this very kind of nineties of the moment kind of feeling. Um, so it tapped into that zeitgeist and that music, um, and just yeah, just really good stuff. But I I love this song. Uh, it's just a really yeah, it's fun rocker. I, I, this is just one that you know, I, it gets me pumped up, kind of on a very <laughs> very sort of superficial level. Um, I all, I also you know just kind of always kind of kind of giggle the, with the like the lines in the chorus when he's like I, I feel so funny deep inside when I lick between your thighs, sugar yeah, high. Right. And I was like, <laughs> it's like I get that,
1: I get that reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got a lot to say about this. Song. All right, then <laughs> it should have been on your list. So take it away. Yeah. Well, well no, there, no, this is perfect, though, because, you know, it was one of my favorite movies from the early 90s. Again, you probably probably know that I also auditioned for the part of AJ. In <laughs> yep. I had no idea how good the movie would be. And the thing the thing I remember, which is really kind of ironic, is that when I auditioned for this, I wore the exact same outfit that AJ wore in the movie. So I think they (laughs) stole my look that time with the, you know, the Levi's doc Martins and like a cardigan sweater vest or like the only thing I didn't have was the pocket watch. But I, I mean, I know for a fact that they stole my idea and gave it to somebody else, but, Despite that, the, my favorite character in the movie was Burko, who was uh, Coyote Shivers. He was the alienated, disenchanted, wannabe rock star kind of thing. He was perfect for the '90s. He was just that kind of. That was. That's who he was. This movie had a lot of. Man, I. I mean, there's so many things about this movie that are great. Like this was my one of my rediscoveries. My my all time favorite ACDC song now is "If You Want Blood." Yeah, and. I discovered that song in this movie. I'd heard a lot of their other songs, but that song is my favorite. And I learned that when Anthony Lapaglia plays drums and and out of frustration in the movie. The coolest thing about this movie, if anybody hasn't seen it, the movie in the 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 actual movie takes place around centered around a mom and pop record shop that is being closed down because they're going to be bought up by like a chain store, like a Blockbuster or a Tower Records or Mm -hmm. Sam Goody or something like that. So they're trying to save the mom and pop shop, which is really really funny in a sort of sadly ironic way. I don't mean funny laugh out loud, but I mean, you know, eventually then this kind of foretold the coming of all those stores, the brick and mortar record shops, even the chains all ended up closing. I remember when Tower Records closed down in LA yeah, and and that was a big deal. And they did a similar thing like in this movie where the last night Tower Records was open in Hollywood people just went nuts and went there and partied and there was a band playing in the parking lot and they had, they, you know, it was just this giant, like, Oh my God, we're seeing the death of something we all love and, but music. And it was, it was the news channels were all there covering it. And it was this thing. So it was very similar to this movie about these young kind of teen angst kids that had no direction. They worked in a record store, which like you said earlier, you know, a lot of people's first jobs where you worked retail, you worked at a, a movie theater you worked in a record store you know i worked at a sporting goods store for a little bit there was you know that was kind of what all kids did and you had no direction you didn't know what you wanted to do in your life but this movie touched on so many adult themes and metaphors for going forward and what the future holds um for these people as kids that i kind of related to but this particular song the thing i liked about that was renee zellweger's character throughout the movie has she's she's has stage fright She's, she's afraid. She doesn't want anybody to hear her sing. And she's terrified of her. And Coyote shivers in this song at the very end, which is, first of all, the great pop anthem for to close a movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a perfect sugary high pop song. It's yeah, perfect. Yeah. But like you said, I love the moment that that moment where her character R comes full circle when he forces her to sing a line. Right. Like he's kind of saying he like backs away from the stage. He's like, go, go go. And she's like, no, 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 I can't. And he's like, go take it. And then she, you see her come out of her shell at the beginning. Her first couple sentences are kind of sheepish and quiet and everything. And then all of a sudden she goes nuts and you see her hands shaking and she's like all the excitement in the world of coming out of her shell. That's why this movie or this song left such a lasting impression of me. Cause there were a lot of good songs in the soundtrack, but this one is probably that, that, that lasting moment, the live performance of Coyote Shivers playing, And having her bust out singing is is classic.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: All right, well, follow it up with the uh, last song for this episode of Soundtrack
1: Selections. (laughs) Okay, so um, I'm going to borrow off of that the the climax to a movie, band on stage, singing live to end the film kind of thing. I'm taking piggybacking on what you just did and going to reference a lot of things that I mentioned earlier, but I'm going to go with tonight I'm going to rock you by Spinal Tap from the movie This is Spinal Tap. Girl,
2: crazy, world, but of me.
3: You can't touch- still got your baby teeth. You're too young.
1: Okay, so first of all, kind of like Blues Brothers, Spinal Tap had some weird connection for you and I as kids, and it was because of our dad's dark, twisted sense of humor. So this was a movie that he watched all the time when we were young, and so we watched it, and (laughs) it was just classic fun. It was all the great things about the Christopher Guest, uh, Eugene Levy movies, those uh, Harry Shearer their their string of movies that they did, like Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, all those things, but this one connected with us because it was about music, and it's about a band, a mythical band, kind of well, I guess there's a lot of themes that we've touched on so far that are like, maybe bands put together for a movie that then became a real band kind of thing, (laughs) like these, these guys went out and toured, I mean, they did play live, but the funny, I just remember watching this movie and realizing how ridiculous it was, and every time this was on, you and I just balled our eyes out laughing hysterically. And mom didn't get it. Mom would get up and walk out of the room and go go make something in the kitchen. And I was just like, how can people not find this funny? And I've spent years trying to introduce this movie to every girlfriend I've ever had and make them watch this movie. And they all have the same reaction mom did. Every girl I've ever met gets up and walks out of the room. I'm like, why don't you guys get this? So that's, that's kind of where the movie ranks in our impactfulness of life. The coolest thing about this song that I chose was it's another, it's, it's another weird song kind of about redemption and the song opens and closes the movie. It bookends the movie in a weird way. Um, but it's probably the least comedic song that they actually did. Um, a lot of the songs in the movie were very funny, like tongue in cheek metal songs like big bottom and stuff and there was but they were meant to be funny. This is almost kind of like the only song that I thought was a straight ahead rocker that actually could be on radio like this really could have suited this could have been a real song from a real band playing live. And it always stuck with me because it's kind of like going back to what I said at the very beginning of the podcast about the Joan Jett, Michael J. Fox um, performance. This one, I loved it because the band had separated. They were all went their separate ways. Everything wrong. Everything was wrong in the world and the band was trying to go on and nobody cared or liked them or whatever. And David St. Hubbins is is playing the song on their own at the very end. And Nigel shows up to tell them that, hey, the song is charting in in Japan. And so they want to put together a tour. Do you want to actually go on tour and do this? And they're all kind of like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go too deep in it. They basically all forgive each other and like all is great in the world. But the moment is so they play the song and Nigel's on the side and they wave him on like, come on, come and join us come back and play with us. And so he comes back out, grabs a guitar. The crowd goes crazy when they see him walking back on stage because it's one of those things. Like, imagine if Keith Richards had left the Rolling Stones and you were watching the Stones play and then all of a sudden Keith Richards shows up and joins the... It's just that kind of moment mm-hmm. where you're like, oh my God, we're witnessing something historic. And he plugs in his wireless and then he gets the air traffic controller <laughs> again, <laughs> which, was a, which was something <laughs> from earlier in the movie. But... That's 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 honestly kind of all I got to say about it. It was just it was a hysterical moment, but it was a great bookend to a funny movie about music about a band, and this song is just a really good rock song. like it's not done tongue in cheek. It's a pretty good rock song
0: So as you were describing it, I realized I have never heard of this movie.
1: Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs>
0: I had to do it three times. I had to, I had to do the bit three times. Shut up. Um, But I mean, I, I really, I don't have anything to follow. I mean, you hit all of my notes. I mean, you basically said everything that I was going to say about it. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I love. I love the movie. Um, I I don't know who else does,
1: but besides us, um, yeah. Uh, oh man. Yeah, there's not even anything else you have to say. I mean, it was just this, I, I like the fact that, you know, and there was a lot of songs that I, you know, this coming down to this list was kind of tough. It was really tough because there were a lot of other songs from other movies that we could have done. I mean, I had to keep trimming and keep trimming to make them all fit the theme we wanted to do, mm-hmm. which is, you know, most of the most of our song tracks, are, most of our song selections are either about bands or about artists or about music that somehow tells a story and stuff. I, lo- I love this whole, this, this whole series you're doing. And I love the, uh, what other guests bring to the table. I think they're really, really cool. And, you know, we've going forward at some point in the future, we've talked about, we still, you know, we could do a different version of this. We could do instrumentals. There's, there are song selections like instrumental songs that I wanted to kind of choose, but they didn't fit this theme, but like movies like fucking in the bushes by Oasis from snatch or green onions from get shorty, you know, there's, there's all kinds of like, there's so many other directions we can go. So I think I'm really proud of you for doing this series. And I think it's really good. And I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm glad that I could carve out my little niche today.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm glad that you were here. And, uh, I, I am sure. I mean, every, every one of my guests has had more songs than we actually managed to bring onto this. So sure, yeah. we'll probably do additional episodes in the future. But uh, yeah, again, thank you very much for being on this episode. Uh, we we'll, I'm sure. I, I don't know if we know what our next project is going to be, but we're going to have. We're going to have to do another band or another uh, spotlight on a certain year. Um, we'll have something coming up. Yeah. We definitely got time, and you know, <laughs> I, I, I think our audience has more time to listen. So.
1: Yeah, our numbers should go up.
0: (laughs) All right. Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, as well as Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like this show, but you don't wish to support us through Patreon, please go to iTunes or Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now, and leave us a nice five-star review for Fire & Water Records. Every review helps them push our podcast to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. As always, thank you for listening.